0: Hey, commercials under pressure,
1: retail's under pressure, wealth is killing it. Feed the fire. Getting to that second million is so much easier than getting to that first million.
0: Year over year, on a year to
1: date basis, we're up
2: 33.9%. You get down to 250 and you're a trusted advisor, you're at less of a risk to lose assets.
3: Notice we're saying protection rather than insurance, as we do believe that words matter.
0: You might get denied, but it's better to try and get denied than not try and die.
4: Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity Trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Jana Capaletti, the creator of BankChannelResearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview.
5: This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you.
6: Hi, I'm Janet Cappelletti, the Director of Research for Stathis Partners and the creator of BankChannelResearch.com with highlights from August 2021. While transactional revenue inched up 5% over July, total production was down 20% due entirely to the absence of the quarterly fees received in July. Compared to last August, we're seeing 20% increases in both FC revenue and household revenue penetration. Year-to-date, as of August 30th, both measures are up more than 20% over the first eight months of 2020. Beating the 2020 experience might seem like a no-brainer, but by this time last year, year-to-date production numbers were not that far from 2019 totals. Slightly below, but essentially the same, making 2021 all the more impressive. I'd like to thank LPL, and Infinex for providing much of the data used in this analysis. And now I'd like to turn it over to Scott and Bob.
2: Hello, I am Scott Stathis, and I'd like to welcome you to BISA Industry Trend Watch. I will be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself in a moment. As many of you listening know, we collect performance data from our channel on a monthly basis, and we benchmark program productivity. So today's discussion, we're going to focus on what it takes to be a program that is consistently a top performer in our rankings. So we're fortunate enough to have as one of our guests, the program manager from a program that has been in the top five year after year. And our other guest is from one of the top broker dealers in the entire nation. So Bob, why don't you take it from here, introduce yourself and then have our guests introduce themselves.
3: Well, thank you, Scott, and welcome again to all of our listeners to this podcast, the BISA Industry Trend Watch for September, where we will review the August trends in the industry as many of our listeners know. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-host of this podcast. Today, as always, we have a great panel that we thank and appreciate for joining us today. We'd also like to thank the BISA for their partnership on these podcasts And don't forget, the BISA is holding a conference, so check out BISANet.org for more information. All right, there's one other thing I want to mention before we start. We are taping this in September, and that means it's Life Insurance Awareness Month. So I promise you that we will talk about life insurance and protection products during this podcast. All right, so now let's meet our panel. David, why don't you start us off?
0: Let me begin with a special thanks to Scott, Bob, and to the BISA for this opportunity. My name is David Billiter. I am president and CEO of First Citizens Investor Services, and we are located within First Citizens Bank. First Citizens Bank is 125 years old, and most of our footprint is in the Southeast, North and South Carolina being our primary states. Our bank is 50 billion, and we have a wonderful long term partnership with our bank. Our broker dealer has about 13 billion in AUM now. That is supported by 77 financial consultants, 161 licensed bankers. And then we have a special group of licensed bankers that are our higher net worth bankers that only refer to us. And we have 20 of those. Our broker dealer is on pace for 70 million this year, Bob and Scott. And as we'll maybe share during the call, we've had a wonderful, wonderful 2021.
3: Absolutely great information. That's quite the program. 161 licensed bankers. That brings a smile to my face. I ran programs like that in the past and love to hear more about uh, your program today. Matt, welcome.
1: Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Special thanks also to Scott and Bob, yourself and BISA. My name is Matt Barhorst. I'm the regional director at Ameriprise Financial. Been with Ameriprise for a couple of years now. Within my role within Ameriprise, I work in our Ameriprise Financial Institution Group, or we better known as AFIG. And our division specializes working with banks and credit unions, I'm specifically helping them manage and grow their investment programs. Prior to joining Ameriprise, I spent some time with LPL on the institutional side there and also on the independent side. I had a career as an advisor back many moons ago within a bank and also did some work with TIA Cref here in the Carolinas. So I'm excited to be a part of the conversation today and look forward to participating.
3: Well, thank you, Matt. And thank you, David. Both of you. Thanks. Well, let's dig right in with our first question then. August 2021 was a slow month. Not surprisingly, that's kind of what we see in the summer. Industry-wide advisor productivity has been down about 22 percent when compared to July, but up 70% from last August when we were right smack in the middle of the pandemic. Productivity overall this summer has been impressive when compared to prior years. So David, how has it looked in your program and what do you think's driving it? And what is your outlook for the rest of the year?
0: Great question. And I appreciate the opportunity to kick off our podcast with that one. August for us was actually a slowdown And year over year, we were at 29.9%. And so amid the slowdown, Bob, we still had maybe a better than industry performance. Maybe a little bit more of a proud moment is our year over year on a year to date basis, we're up 33.9%. And so we came out of COVID last August and really went straight up from a trajectory perspective. And I'm proud to announce that this year, Seven out of eight months have been historic performances, month after month, for the broker dealer. So, 2021 has been the best of the best for uh, First Citizens Investor Services.
3: Okay, so tell me more about that. I mean, I how, how you just joined there, right? You've been there for a little bit, right? I'm 11 months new. So 11 think- months new. So we're going to attribute this increase to your joining the organization. But tell us what else transpired that got you to be better than ever in the last seven to eight months?
0: You know, it's interesting. I'll take zero credit, Bob and Scott, for what has taken place. The legacy of the work done over the years at First First Citizens really has come to fruition. And I think from the perspective of drivers, a core focus really on back to basics amid all of the headwinds that we were facing. And so I think we all woke up in the industry and said, okay, we have a new paradigm and we have to figure out quickly how to operate in it. And so that back to basics really said advisors, you need to connect closely with your existing book. And as our branches slowly reopened, re-engage all of those proactive behaviors that make great partnerships between licensed bankers and our dedicated advisors. And so if I had to pick just two things, I would really say it's that proactive advisors, and very strong cooperative behaviors between our financial consultants and our licensed bankers.
3: No doubt financial planning is part of that. And I know Scott will ask many questions and really dig into that later on. So Matt, how's August looking for Ameriprise?
1: So within my span of control, I think I can speak broadly across the other two divisions that my peers run, but I have 15 banks and credit unions that are within my division or my geographic footprint. And I would say similar feedback from David, you know, I would say that a little bit of a slow summer, but that's pretty, pretty typical in our industry. And then you have that whole hangover with the COVID. I don't know about you all, but I was looking forward to get out and take some vacation. I know my advisors were, and certainly our clients, our prospects were. So I think across the board, we saw a little bit of a dip in activity, uh, certainly on the transactional side. However, The trend that's been following us over the last few years here at Ameriprise with our banks and credit unions is we've been building up a really good base of fee-based business. So that really helped us buffer some of that transactional business with, of course, some strong equity markets. So we had a nice little tailwind there that helped us. I know we dipped a little bit. We certainly didn't dip as we uh, typically would have back in the olden days when you're relying more on the transactional side. So the second half of the year provided uh, no major, major sell-offs. I think we should have a, uh, a real strong finish, and we'll hit our goal and exceed our goals across the board.
3: You know, many of our listeners are trying to do the same thing and move their mix to fee-based as well off of the transactional. Can you give us some more insight into how you're doing that at M- 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 Price?
1: Yeah, you know, there's different ways to tackle that. Certainly, we believe in a holistic financial planning approach. So that's our culture. By design, we believe every client should have a published financial plan, an active goal based approach that they will track via some type of technology. And with that, that aligns well to relationships and managed money kind of flows well into a ongoing relationship management model. In the banking world, we certainly have all the products. If the advisor wants to run their own model, that's great. We have support with that. If they want discretion, that's fine too. But we really work more towards essentially managing asset gathering type of model rather than having them manage their own portfolios. But we've been doing that over time, taking brokerage accounts, taking direct business that might be stale. And as advisors get very large books of business, it really doing a lot of coaching and, and the training around how to have that conversation around shifting the type of relationships. And it's paying off.
3: And it, it, you're absolutely right. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that is a process and it takes time. We're so lucky that we have a top program, a uh, top five program with us today. I know Scott's got our second question queued up and probably we'll go down that path if I know him properly. So here we go.
2: Well, and David, you had a comment that you wanted to add on to what Matt was saying? Yeah, I would just add our comment. Certainly, our advisory
0: business has been a primary focus, and we've seen material growth in that space as well. Some from appreciation, but a lot from just new assets that we brought in. And so that has certainly been a bell cow to help bring us through as we try to continue to grow those assets under management. We've made some changes in terms of dedicating more resources to that space, and we've added a a full-time advisory coach. Uh, you know, you think of some of the other disciplines where we have special resources on the life side, we've dedicated one of our long-term product manager experts, certainly a SME to kind of take that initiative and bring us through this next
2: year as well. So yeah, big emphasis on advisory. All right, David. So now yeah, I can't let that go <laughs> because you have a full-time advisor coach. And the first question our listeners who are running program are going to ask themselves, how does that person get compensated? And is there an ROI on that person? So it's a new position for us. And so it
0: is what I would call, you have to pioneer with faith. And so we genuinely believe that many of our advisors, and you know, you look at advisors that have been in the business a long time, there's still opportunity to grow their advisory skill. And then those that are in their mid-career or even new entrants, how do we coach them? And so this role is going to be unique in that it's going to have process associated with it. So when you think of how I do a proposal, how that bleeds into or from a MoneyGuide Pro, how we onboard a new account. That coach is going to have that process to try to help remove some of the friction that we have between some of those disparate systems, but really to help build confidence in our mid and newer advisors around how do I position from MoneyGuide Pro to the actual proposal to the actual implementation. And so it is not going to be uniquely tied to any proprietary solutions. It is all solutions. And so the higher tide will pay for this person, Scott. So it is not uniquely tied to any kind of production commission. It's really, how do we build a better advisory solution
2: set? Yeah. You know what? Good for you guys for doing that. And I know when you bring on that type of position, it can be a heavy lift from justifying it because you're not going to make money initially, but you will get an ROI if you stick with it. And we know from experience that you bring on an insurance specialist, for example, it takes three years to get an ROI from an insurance specialist. I guarantee you it's going to take less to get an ROI from an advisory business specialist. So I think that's a really good move. And you have to have scale to do it, but you guys have the scale to do it. David, the other thing you mentioned, you both mentioned was gathering assets. And what's amazing to me, and this is one of the takeaways from the last year of podcasts. What's amazing to me is how often we've been managing program managers who have had some outstanding success from the standpoint of gathering assets. And we asked them, how do you do it? And they're like, You know, it's really not that hard. But the interesting thing is that most of our competition isn't doing it. And I say it meaning, and he said, just reaching it during the pandemic, reaching out to clients. They're not hearing from their other advisors. So if you're the advisor that's reaching out and they're hearing from you, they move assets over to you, and it just works like magic, right? So just reach out, let them know everything's going to be okay. That you have a plan. You're you know you're working on the plan and magic happens. So all it takes is that contact. So David, you mentioned that one of your strategic initiatives was proactive outreach. Perfect. That works. That works really well, right? Yeah. I'll share. I was at a breakfast yesterday morning with
0: our top producer, 3 million plus producer, and it's just herself and an assistant and only 250 relationships. And so I asked her, she's having a record year. I said, what's the secret sauce this year? And She said, I'm going to share this and I can't really explain what I've done different." but it's happening at a pace that I've never experienced before. She said, I've opened up 19 new advisory relationships, hundred percent from customer referrals. She's a second story broker and I've opened up 24 million in AUM in eight months. Wow, wow. In new, in new advisory. And you just, to your point, great service model, great relationship with customers, customers because of the planning that she's done are very comfortable introducing her to others of like kind and she was just tickled to death so the basics do work
3: and the three million dollar producer you said with 250 relationships so everybody's writing that down because yeah. we often hear that 500 600 all these relationships and the production is nowhere near three million it doesn't take a lot and then 19 referrals on top of it wow
0: yeah and, and, and this was this was the cool capstone of the breakfast my assistant and I committed to 4
2: million. <laughs> Love it. So she's not happy with resting in place. She's going to build well, a business. That's great. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing. Doing it, she's doing it,
0: doing it the right way. And I asked her, I said, how many are you going to drop off the bottom? She goes, I need to drop off 10, 10 of my smaller relationship. Yep. Yeah.
2: It's amazing how consistent it is. When I hear about top producers, how consistent that 250 number comes up. That is the sweet spot. About 250 clients, right? Once she starts getting above three million, she'll, like you said, she'll narrow it down even more, right? Yeah. I mean, if you do the math, the math very simply is it takes about eight hours per year per client, right, to to provide that level of service. An average advisor, if you take away a third of their time where they're not doing client-focused stuff, an average advisor has about fifteen hundred hours a year to work with clients. So you divide eight into 1,500, you get 188. So, you know, say round it out to 200 clients. That's the sweet spot if you're really firing on all cylinders and that's where she's going, right? Now, the other thing that I'll take a wild guess. So she has 250 clients. She probably has roughly 80% of her businesses advisory business. Is that about right? Yeah, pretty close. That's always the, we find that every time, right? And the interesting service model, we're at a breakfast and
0: a common acquaintance of her's came into the conversation as we were standing outside the restaurant, and she talked about a friend that they both knew who had recently passed away, and she made this comment. She goes, I had such a good relationship with this person. I still take flowers to his headstone, and this other individual went, wow, that that's different. I don't know of any advisors that do something of that magnitude, and so uh, it genuinely has very close relationships with those that she serves, and it obviously pays off in those that are introduced to her.
2: That's great. That's impressive. So the last thing I'll say about that, which is completely ironic, is we often, as you know, in our consulting roles, we'll get asked, what's the optimum number of branches per advisor? And I say, well, you want to know the truth of the matter based on stats? They say, yeah, zero. (laughs) (laughs) How zero? And say, well, the best advisors in our channel, how many branches did they have? None. They've graduated out of the branches, right? So that should ultimately, that should be your goal as a program to have every advisor work through their career so they get to the point where they don't need branches. And then you backfill with other advisors, right? And you have a career path. And that's a beautiful thing. All right. So I'm going to give our listeners an idea of your program, David. So I have a question for you based on that. And then Matt, I have a follow-on question for you. So for our listeners, so First Citizens has easily been in the top five programs on a consistent basis year over year. So your most recent performance has you at number one from a revenue penetration standpoint. That's the amount of revenue you're generating per million dollars of retail deposits. You guys are number one, up from number three last year. So you've grown more than your competition. So congrats. Your advisor productivity at just under a million GDC on average, at least the last bit of data that we have on you, puts you at number three, up from number four last year. Your revenue penetration for the third quarter of this year is almost three times the industry average, 2.7 to be exact, right? So, So how are you doing this, right? So just provide some additional insights in how the success has been driven. Now, I know you just took over 11 months ago, I think you said, right? But I've known the First Citizens program for a while, and I don't think they could have done a much better job hiring a successor to the success the program has had. The program has been lucky to have some really good leaders and you're continuing that. So clearly if you weren't able, it wouldn't be continuing the way it's continuing and it's doing extremely well, even under pandemic scenario. So good for you. So you've probably brought skill and you've learned stuff since you've gotten there. So give us some of your best insights in how do you create a top performing program?
0: Great question. And thank you. And again, I give the disclaimer, I'm 11 months new. And there is a wonderful legacy here. And that legacy really starts over the last six, seven years. The firm has really taken a primary focus around financial planning and becoming a culture of advice and that encompasses our fiduciary business, as well as our broker dealer, as well as our licensed bankers. And so all of them have been engaged in learning the business of advice. And so we have a lot of dedicated resources around financial planning. The tools obviously are there. We're a a very heavy user of Money Guide Pro. We also have eMoney for our higher net worth clients. And we've also just added Money Guide Pro Lite and Money Guide Blocks to help our licensed banker population. And so we really, from an institutional perspective, have said our division is a division of planning and planning translates into sound financial advice for our customers. And that's really helped create a great bond between us and our uh, strategic bank partners. The other thing, Scott and Bob, that has happened, and certainly previous leaders deserve the credit, we've been on an adding financial consultant roadmap for the last several years. And that's a process of maturity. And so those new practices, the individual with the book goes up, second story. We bring in a new advisor behind and put them back in the branch. And it takes a couple of years for that person to stabilize to develop the relationships, and then to actually see that revenue start to mature. And so the work done two and three and last year has really come to fruition. So if I had to say, what's one of the secrets to our outstanding performance and blasting past maybe our peers, it's the hard work that happened in planting those advisors in the right place over the last three years. The other thing that we have done, and sometimes we underestimate the influence of this, and that's we've restructured our support model to those great advisors. And so we've gone into a geographical approach through hubs. We've brought in our licensed assistants into those hubs. We've pulled in our principal review partners into those hubs. And those are also housed with our local sales management processes. And so the support and the leadership is more closely connected to the front. And we've got some really good leverage out of that. And we needed it. The other thing that I would share is on behalf of a new guy, COVID is an interesting time to become a new president when you don't have face-to-face access or large meeting access. And so one of the things that I've tried to do very carefully in support of our company's COVID policies is to go out. And in going out, I've really had a simple mission and that is first to ask and carefully listen and document, and then really pinpoint the friction that happens between the front and the back. And our processes, how do we improve those? What are some of the silly things maybe we do by tradition not by rule or regulation or risk management, and then to begin to peel those out. And so I think we've won some of the hearts of our front office with the removal and identification of some of those, I call them very personal friction points, full of friction. (laughs) And then I think the growth engine has also come from our bank support, commercial lending and retail lending under amazing compression in terms of profitability. The COVID support that the government provided provided an interesting reduction in our overdraft income as a corporation. And so you put interest margin, compression, and retail revenue collapsing a little bit. We became a repository of we can help. And so we're going to generate somewhere in excess of $40 more this year from a, a collective wealth group. And so the company has viewed us as a place to turn in this difficult time. And all we've asked is, we can help, but we need your help with introductions. And so it's really been a perfect storm of opportunity from a wealth perspective. Customers need advice. Customers want advice. Our penetration says, there's a lot more that need us. Please help us. And so our institutional leadership has really rallied behind that battle cry of, hey, commercials under pressure, retail's under pressure,
2: wealth is killing it. Feed the fire. That's good for you guys. That's great. So I have a follow-on question. Matt, I have a question for you as well. Let me get to the follow-on question for David. It's actually two follow-on questions. But one is this whole notion of what I'll call cross-departmental relationships, breaking down the silos, frictionless business and referral flow across the organization, I think is critical. I mean, I always say there are six core needs that our clients have, no matter how wealthy they are. It's savings and liquidity. Credit, income now, income later, protection, and legacy. And that's it, right? And so if we can service those six core needs in a holistic manner, in a seamless manner, we can keep more assets in our organization and gather assets. But it takes teamwork to do that because those needs span both wealth management as well as retail, et cetera. So it sounds like because of the interest rate situation, et cetera, the feed to fire, you're getting referral flow. Is that resulting in better relationships between the high value centers of influence in the bank? For example, the loan officers, the business lenders, are there relationships developing between those people and your upper end advisors? Because that's where a lot of magic can happen, right? Yeah. In our broker
0: dealer, we serve the mass and the mass affluent. So our segmentation model is referrals a million and below come our direction and then our partners on the fiduciary side, a million and above. And so the volume of referrals to both of our groups has been substantially increased this year. And I will tell you, and I know we're going to talk more about financial planning. We've done a lot of work over the last three to five years building that acumen around, here's our expertise. Because a lot of our commercial lenders and small business lenders five years ago didn't believe it. Yeah. Because we had demonstrated it. We hadn't earned the right to hold ourselves out as expert advice givers, but we have made that turn now. And that's a drum that you have to beat every month. And so we have a pretty distinguished across the whole company financial planning topic that rhythmically comes across and thematically comes across the calendar. And every month we provide education to all of the employees in the corporation around financial planning theme. And so that's helped build that credibility.
2: So that's interesting. You say to all the employees. So they start understanding the value proposition of the advisors, right? They don't know what we do if we don't tell them.
0: so Is it self-serving? Sure. But it's the only way to help customers is to help educate those that have relationships with them. So, yeah, it's been a really neat thing to be joined to as a new
2: leader. Great. So the last question, then Matt, I have a question for you. That's a follow-on question, David, is give our listeners, again, an overview of what I'll call your advisor tiers, because you basically have career pathing built into your tiers, right? So how does that go again? So where does it start? And it ends up with a wealth advisor that's not in the branches anymore, but where are the different starting points in your organization? And is one of those now remote advisors, you have a remote advisor center that you've implemented. That's for you, David. And then I have a question for Matt.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So about 6,700 employees I've introduced, we have about 160 today licensed bankers. And so a licensed banker for us is fully licensed. So they have a six, sixty-three life and health. We put them through a very disciplined financial planning process that we strategically partner with Canon that's helped develop it. And so there's a heavy emphasis around learning and advice early on in their licensed banker experience. Those that perform well get quickly identified either to become banking specialists, with lending orientation or investment in insurance interests from a career pathing perspective. And so that extra group of 20 are those that were licensed bankers that really showed, hey, I love lending. But when they go into that role, they become refer only. And so consequently, they are interfacing with a more affluent customer, which turns into great referrals for us. So we helped grow them from a knowledge and a discovery skill set. Our sales assistants, believe it or not, because they're registered, we've seen career pathing come from our registered sales assistants as well, particularly those that have been in the role for many years. We have a pretty disciplined internship program where we bring in college students and we tend to hire pretty successfully out of that population each year. And so I would say our bench is homegrown internally over multiple years. And then we also, you know, we recruit normally like the rest of us do in the industry. We try to find talented people and to convince them that our flavor of ice cream is more tasty than maybe where they're at. And so that's kind of our
2: model. And it's worked. So your tiers, you have licensed License banker. bankers, right? You have. And they, have
0: a, they have a selling threshold to 75, and then financial consultant, 75 to a million. Branch-based? Yep, with territories. And then second story or book broker would be a senior financial consultant for us. There's a little bit of a difference in pay comp structure between those three,
2: but yeah, it's working well. Cool. All right. So Matt, I have some layering questions for you. So I have two questions. The first one I'll ask you, and just as a little bit of background, I know you were an advisor at Fidelity and a manager at TIA CREF, right? That's right. And you've been on the third party broker dealer side for almost 15 years now. Right. So when you look across the span of control of Ameriprise And you look at the impressive organizations. What are the things that stand out for you? The things that most often drive success. So that's A and B. I mentioned remote advisors. I know Ameriprise has been very successful and aggressive in developing a remote advisor center that can be used by their clients, bank and credit union clients that combines kind of that remote advice with a technology delivery and a collaboration and interaction with the client. And we're seeing that more and more in a lot of banks and credit unions that are leveraging remote advisors. So that's part two, but part one, give us your overall view of what you see standout wise from organizations that are really performing well. And then how has from your perspective so far, the bank and credit union space embraced the concept of leveraging a remote advisor and some of that remote technology that we've all come to get used to via COVID.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to chime in on both. So we'll start with, you know, I've I've had the honor to work with some blue chip companies in the financial services. You mentioned Fidelity, TIA Craft, LPL, Ameriprise, and worked with a lot of great advisors, a lot of talented advisors. And, you know, as as I'm sure David can appreciate this, as They all have a very common, a successful advisor has a common core. They're really good at a few really important key interpersonal skills. Great listening, great questions asking, organized, hardworking, entrepreneur spirit. There's all common. However, they all hit, we we all hit a 300, I would call it the $300,000 wall. You hit that GDC number, that 300,000, and you're like, you're doing great. You get there quick and you'd say, well, How do I get to that 500? How do I get to 750? How do I get to a million? And ultimately, you know, the companies that I've had the honor to work with deliver a lot of tools and resources that help many advisors get there. Unfortunately, a lot of advisors can't because they they struggle with adopting that, that technology. So what we can see when I talk about technologies and how to get over the hump, that's leveraging client segmentation tools. That's leveraging, making sure you have service models in place. That's leveraging financial planning tools. So how do we work with a smaller group of clients and just go deeper? And ultimately, we talked about that model. How do we get them into that second story? The book has to get smaller and you got to bring new advisors in. So I think the challenge that we have in our industry is once you're getting those advisors to break through those thresholds, you can't do it simply by just adding more clients and more transaction and more fee-based accounts. It has to be the right type of model and quite frankly, unless you're Superman or Superwoman, they're going to have to lever the technology that many of these firms deliver. And it's a matter of getting them to adopt it.
2: Yeah, it's narrow and deep versus broad and shallow, like we say, right? And leveraging technology to do that. And you know, to me, one of the primary focuses, if you're a good advisor, has to be wallet share, right? If you're not managing the majority of your client's assets, you're an afterthought. Somebody else is right? And that's somebody else is trying to suck the rest of those assets into their organization and out of yours, right? So you can't have 700 clients in your book and have majority wallet share from all of them because it's humanly impossible. You don't have the hours in the day to generate that much trust and service your clients well enough for 700 of them to give you all of their investable assets, right? Unless you're really leveraging, you have a whole firm behind you, right? That's so you right. have to do what David referred to. You get down to 250, And maybe even less. And then you're narrow and deep, and you're a trusted advisor, and you're less of a risk to lose assets because because you're an afterthought, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was saying I heard many
1: years ago, and I just didn't believe when I first heard it. They said, you know, that getting to that second million is so much easier than getting to that first million. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's so true. You see that all the time. Just Dave, that advisor you talked about earlier, she'll get there before you know it a lot quicker than she got to three million. So. It's exciting to see that. So the second leg to that question was around that virtual support model. Right. And we take a kind of a unique vision here that we're started here at Ameriprise. It's existed in our other channel, in our W-2 channel, and then on the independent. But we've also enrolled a few of our our credit unions and, and banks into it. And ultimately... You know, it was born out of your traditional bank model when they have a small account desk and they get a junior advisor and everybody transitions their $50,000 and below accounts to this person. And this poor person's got 4,000 people that have their contact information and they show up on a statement and they just basically take inbound calls every day and service model, right? They're not providing much in the way of consultation advice. They're certainly not gathering additional wallet share and assets, so we thought if we could leverage this model that exists and is successful in our other channels, what would that look to replace some of those small account desks that we have with some of our mid to larger institutions? And the answer is very, very good so far. The model's a little unique. It's you get a team of advisors that are fully licensed that will take any prospect through a full financial plan. They just like a regular advisor, we expect them to, to publish a financial plan. This team will do the exact same thing for a $5,000, 529 client that a bank puts into this model. They answer the phone, XYZ investment services, just as if they were calling into the bank of credit union themselves also. So it's unique. I think the banks are really getting excited about it. The technology is the same experience for their member or their their customer that they would get if they walked in and sat down with a full-fledged advisor inside of a branch.
2: Yeah, so we're seeing advisors that are very successful in banks that are doing the overwhelming majority of their business virtually now, right? Because some of their best clients have moved out of the footprint, but they still want to work with them. And now everybody got used to using remote technology because of COVID. And so they're doing exactly that. They're saying, all right, geography doesn't matter anymore. I can meet with you in person, but not necessary. If you're across the country, we can still work together. And I always tell a story of I interviewed an advisor that was based in Colorado and he and his family decided to up and move to New Zealand. Well, he's still working with all of his clients in the United States, three years on now from New Zealand, and his business has grown ever since he moved to New Zealand, because he's doing it all remotely. And he flies back here twice a year to meet with some of the core clients. He's doing it all remotely from literally the other side of the globe and the other hemisphere, right? So it's totally doable. So I think that's going to become a more and more important delivery tier for our programs in banks and credit unions. All right, Bob. You had mentioned that we're recording this in September and we are, it's the end of September and that is life insurance awareness month. So there's no such thing as having a podcast with Bob Mattel on it where life insurance doesn't come up. So I'm going to hand it back to Bob.
3: (laughs) Yes. September is life insurance awareness month. And unfortunately it seems we choose to be aware of insurance once a year. Overall, I know there's exceptions to that, but we all know that protection is an important part of any financial plan. I always say if a financial plan doesn't have insurance in it, it's an investment plan. So what are you guys doing, if anything, to move the needle on protection in your program? And did you do a promotion in September? I know we're talking about August numbers, but in September, did you do a promotion? And notice we're saying protection rather than insurance, as we do believe that words matter. So what are your thoughts on this? And let me just add one more thing. And, And David, your program is always above average for life insurance revenue penetration. So while not knocking it out of the park, you're certainly doing better than most organizations. So David, let's start with you and then we'll go to Matt.
0: I do appreciate that call out, Bob, because I think it's our area of greatest opportunity for improvement. So we had a unique experience this month. As I already alluded, we have a theme every month from an institutional education perspective. So in the spirit of life insurance awareness, we hosted a corporate lunch and learn series this month on protection. And we took advantage of the opportunity to also pause and to connect 9-11 and the memorial anniversary of that experience. And we had an opportunity to engage with an individual who served in the New York City area and had clients in the World Trade Center. And unfortunately, there were two types of survivors that came out of that experience. Many of those had insurance and were protected. And so it's a single tragedy. There were several people on those top floors that this individual worked with that did not have protection or let protection lapse, and that became a double tragedy. And so we really used what I'll call a unique emotional thread of something that we were honoring and all of us had kind of near and dear on our hearts to really bring home. We don't know when the need is going to present. We just know it's going to. And so the only way to be out in front of that is to, it starts with that financial plan that usually translates into a policy review and then an invitation. If we could help you, here's what it would look like. And we think it's important. The other thing I will tell you that I added is a message to this theme. And that is, it really is our greatest opportunity as a firm to increase protection success and placement of protection solutions but I genuinely believe we as advisors have a moral obligation to families and particularly the survivors of those who tragically, by accident, whatever, accelerates their passing. There's nothing more powerful than being able to, in a moment of great distress, arrive and know that you're gonna stay in your house, that you get to stay at the school you're at and that you have a period of healing because some planning took place and protection was put in force. And so it was a unique experience, it was a a great, and ours are video, Lunch and Learns, and they're recorded. And so we've had just a real positive support and outreach for thank you for bringing this to our attention, thank you for educating us. And if you think about, you know, this exercise is building our brand within our own employee workforce. Most of our employees only have life insurance through our company plan. And so bringing home that message that you need to evaluate and you need to take a look at this yourself. And oh, by the way, we need to make our customers aware that we can help them with this too. And so it it was a great experience this month.
3: You know, what you mentioned there is linking it to a current event and a lot has been written about COVID increasing life insurance awareness. And I also noted that you said protection without me prompting it. I've been using the word protection over life insurance for the last couple of months. It's obviously ingrained in you and in your culture there. That's why you're twice the average industry. But COVID also is starting to make younger folks realize that we're mortal, that there's got to be something out there that can help me in this situation. So has that had any bearing as well?
0: Yeah, I think it has. I think it's just brought people to the reality of unplanned surprises come and, you know, the flu comes and goes. COVID has come and stayed. And you know, the variant has, I think, brought people back to their knees of, oh my gosh, the people who've gotten a shot and have gotten sick and passed. Uh, I have a good friend who passed. And it's just tragic to see that type of loss. I think the other thing, too, Bob, for us is we have five dedicated full time life specialists on our team, helping our advisors as well as our wealth consultants and our fiduciary company. That commitment is important to have that resource. They work closely with our planners and work closely with our advisors. And so I think a lot of our advisors are uncomfortable with protection, particularly the application experience. And so bringing people in that aren't uncomfortable asking those health insurance and health-related questions, you might get denied, but it's better to try and get denied than not try and die. And so moral obligation, that's my message.
3: No, I absolutely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Using just the word protection changes the conversation because you're not saying life insurance. You're talking about protecting a person and their assets.
0: Life insurance suggests I'm dying. Protection addresses survivors.
3: Absolutely. That's why I phrased the question the way I did. Absolutely. Matt, talk to us about the protection initiatives at Ameriprise locations.
1: Yeah, spot on, Dave. I believe 100% it's the obligation to have that conversation. We owe it to our clients and our prospects. You know, I think similar challenges. It's the greatest opportunity. We've been talking about it for years, but I do think that the path that we're headed, and some of my advisors that are doing well in this area, they're streamlining the conversation to lead to it through a financial plan, and by doing a full plan and being able to tinker at the end with some different scenario planning. If what if you lost this job, or what if one of you passed away earlier than a spouse did? How does that do to your plan? Is it Does it make it unattainable? Do we need to add some disability insurance and give an advisor an opportunity to have a conversation about it and visualize it with the prospect or the client has helped out a lot because it's just not a natural conversation. We struggle with that. To David's point, it's just, it's awkward in some cases, but if you can visualize it and show it and the impact that it will have to either a surviving spouse or kids or broader family. I think that makes it real. And I think it makes it a, a more natural conversation rather than just bringing it up out of the blue or through a normal discovery process. So we're getting a lot of, you know, we use Money Guide Pro and then we got some scenario testing on the back end and it's really helped pick up some long term care. It's picked up some disability and certainly the typical life cases. So that's where we're seeing some some success this year.
3: And Money Guide Pro absolutely has a great connection and a great module on the protection need. Let me ask you about policy reviews, because that's come up. I know David mentioned it. Matt, have you ever thought about policy reviews? Because, you know, we're actually, we've seen that in some programs in the country that have really excelled at offering policy reviews, just answering it. And again, it makes the question so much easier. You know what? I'd love to review your protection needs, bring your policy and let's take a look at it. It seems to work real well in some places
1: yeah you know they do and in some previous stops we had folks on the team that actually did that or we had an agency attached to our broker dealer that would do some work there, which was very, very very helpful to uncover needs and you got an expert doing that also, some warm bleeds. you know I, I don't have a program today that's doing that consistently. I've got a couple advisors that are doing that and of course they do well in that space. but I, I agree and I'd I like David's model with having, a couple people, whether it's one, two, or three, that is kind of a go-to, whether they're officially an insurance coordinator or maybe they're just somebody that's good at it and they can do some split cases. But I'm a big fan of the policy review. It's a very easy, warm conversation to get into. They already have insurance or they already have protection, right?
3: Yeah. Exactly. And for all our listeners out there, if you really want to have more conversations about life insurance and protection, Find me on LinkedIn and send me a message and I'll make sure we do that.
2: Hey Bob, let me, you know. let me make a comment about life insurance. Matt, you referred to the discussion is a little unnatural for some advisors, but here's a way to make it very natural, especially if you're an advisor that's leveraging financial planning like a lot of the advisors, Matt, that are with Ameriprise are doing. And that is if you put a plan together, and I don't care whether it's a goal-based plan or a comprehensive plan, but if you put some degree of plan together, you should, as an advisor, say, all right, we've started putting a plan together that's going to help you grow your assets, but now let's make sure we protect those assets as well, right? And the client might say, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, who's the primary, you know, money breadwinner in the family, and what happens if you lose that? What happens if you have to take care of, you have elderly parents, if you have to pay for their long-term care? So it's very easy for these assets that we're helping you grow to all of a sudden be depleted by something that's unexpected. And protection just doesn't cost that much. But if I'm an advisor and I'm only helping you grow your assets and I'm not helping you protect those assets, I'm only doing half of my job. So we need to talk about that, right? That's that's if you're an advisor and you say that's not a natural discussion, you should not be in our industry, frankly, right? That's not hard. That's not a hard way to get into that discussion. David, you wanted to say something, I think? Yeah, you know, I would suggest, and I look at the advisors over
0: my career that have been good in this space they set the stage. We've started the plan. We've got investments now in a good place. The area where we haven't really done a review yet is. So with permission, if you could bring in your policies and let's talk about them, we'll do the analysis. Hey, these were issued years ago maybe. Costs have changed dramatically. Maybe more benefit for less premium. Maybe the type needs to change. Your term needs are maybe over. and Now we need to really look at permanent for legacy and for transfer of assets. And so that stage setting conversation, I love advisors that at the end of this financial review go, in our next meeting, I'd really like to. And you just set the stage and people go, nobody's ever asked me to do that before. They always just want to sell me one. They've never asked me to review one. And the other thing I think that's important in this conversation, you have to have stories. The best advisors have stories for this theme because it's an emotion. It's not a tangible. I'm not going to get a dividend. Somebody's going to get a death benefit or a long-term care benefit. And so storytelling here, and to this point of protection, I have a good friend who had a situation where a teenage son went out on a Friday night and got involved in a horrific event that caused an accident. And there was a rider in that car that was killed. And so you go, but there was no umbrella. And that liability changes that family's years of accumulation. And so protection in our conversations around protection, it's not just life, health, long-term care. It needs to also include liability. We have a PNC agency, so there's a referral opportunity there. But even if you don't refer it, you need to educate it. And so I'm thrilled. All of my kids now are past the age of 21. They crash, it's on somebody else's balance sheet. It's no longer <laughs> on mine.
3: And you're absolutely right. There's always got to be a story. And before I was doing what I'm doing now, I worked for a bank. I had a story back then. I'm not going to share it now. I'm going to share it next month. So people listen to next month's podcast, but you have to have that story. And it's a very compelling story as yours was as well, but that's really what it is. You need a story. Policy reviews are so simple. It makes the conversation so easy and using protection versus life makes a big difference so
2: i think that wraps it up bob you think so i, uh, I think so
3: yep. absolutely so thanks to our participants today matt and david thanks to the bisa for their partnership with this podcast series especially jeff hartney a big thank you to you thank you to janet capoletti for all the work on our research thanks to ameriprise for their sponsorship don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on our other series as well available wherever you get your other podcasts. I think, Scott, that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening.
2: All right. Thanks again, David and Matt, for participating. Much appreciated. And see you next month. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye now.
4: Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling Fintech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.